starting the lesson off before I speak with a testimony of someone in our congregation who has received a supernatural miracle in their lives. So watch, watch the screen and you're, you'll hear an incredible testimony this morning. I just want to share my testimony of what God did for me. In September 2014, I was in New York when suddenly my voice, I couldn't even speak. Uh, I thought it was the flu, it was the cold. I traveled to Africa and uh, for months I couldn't speak. I saw doctors in Africa. One of the doctors said it was a voice abuse. Um, they did a lot of, you know, search trying to figure out what the problem was. I came back to the US, January, February. Um, I decided to go see a doctor because it was getting worse. I couldn't even speak at that point. Um, we went to see a doctor and we did a scan. He sent me out for a scan. We did a CA scan. And then he realized that my vocal cord was paralyzed. Um, he now referred me to the University of Florida Cancer Center in Orlando, Florida. I was living in Florida as at that time. I went to the University of Florida Cancer Center where I met Dr. Toro and um, they now discovered that uh, I had a mass on my iota and the mass was very large. So they introduced me to another doctor which is Dr. Herrera and Dr. Lindahl because they found out that it was lymphoma. I didn't even know what lymphoma meant, sincerely speaking. My wife, uh, who is a medical doctor, she started rejecting it, you know, rejecting it and said her husband will never be a patient for lymphoma treatment. My mother-in-law, God help me, yeah, my mother-in-law, she um, started praying. My wife was praying. And, um, you know, I went to the University of Florida Cancer Center. They were doing all forms of treatment. They took bone marrow, uh, biopsies. Uh, they, they got into my, you know, ribs, got a biopsy. And the doctor was so scared that he was going to poke my iota and I was going to bleed to death. I woke up out of the surgery, uh, when I got out of the surgery and I had a chest tube. Um, I, I didn't know what to think. All I thought one day was, will I leave my wife, my young, you know, newly married wife? Will I be leaving this world with her? And, you know, I was just thinking. And we were praying, nine o'clock prayers in the evening we were praying. And uh, all of a sudden, when we went back for treatment, they, they put in a, um, a pot for chemotherapy in my body so they could start chemo right away. And it started shrinking. When we went back for an x-ray, they told me it's shrinking. Um, and they were surprised that the level at which the, 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 the iota, the mass, have already shrunk in my iota. They were surprised. And all of a sudden, I didn't take any treatment. It was gone. I mean, it just started shrinking, 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 and it was gone. My vocal cord that was paralyzed came back. I went back to Dr. Toro at the University of Florida Cancer Center in Orlando. It was gone. The mass on my iota dried up. And then I told Dr. Herrera that Jesus healed me. And they said, it's a miracle. I refused. I said, look, Jesus healed me. And they said, well, 
it's a miracle. I mean, it's a mystery. Actually, that is the words they use, that it's a mystery. And then they started calling me the mystery man. They started calling me the mystery man because they had different doctors that sat down to evaluate my medical records, everything. And I didn't take any treatment. The only treatment, the only drugs I took was just painkillers because of the biopsy from the bone marrow that they took, the biopsy they came in from my side all the way to my iota, you know, the chest tube. I only took painkillers for that. I did not take any treatment, no chemotherapy. They, they actually took out the pot on their own because there was no need for treatment. Since 2014, 2015, 16, this is 2019, I have not received any treatment and I am free, proclaiming the goodness of God. So the God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob, my Lord Jesus, that did this for me, can do it for you. Once you believe, have faith in miracle, no matter the situation, Jesus is there for you. Thank you. Isn't that awesome? That's awesome. Uh, I do, Etsy, I do need uh, your mother-in-law's address because I don't know what that is about my mother-in-law. God help me. My mother-in-law, I don't have, huh? She went to the mountains, so. Uh, anyway, we're going to get started, but I, I show these video clips just because I want you to know that, that, that God is still in the miracle business today, and if you have an impossible situation, that's okay, but we, ha we have a God that, that specializes in the impossible. Uh, you're not out of God's reach. You're, you, your situation is not so bad that God can't help you, I, I promise you. Uh, one thing I do want to announce, uh, my book on parenting came out this last week, and many people were asking me about that. So you can, uh, of course, you can get it on Amazon, uh, you know, Barnes and Nobles, wherever. Uh, however, we have some out in the lobby if you want some, and I can give you a cheaper price than you're going to pay on Amazon and all that. So that's there. And, you know, I really, two years ago, God spoke to me to do this book because I realized as a pastor that we have had, have several generations of people who love their kids and who want to do well by raising their kids, but they don't have a clue of how to do it. Maybe they were raised in a dysfunctional home. Maybe they were raised in a home that didn't know Jesus, didn't have the love of Christ. And, you know, if you're going to do something, it's really good to get a model of how to do it. And so it's just a very practical, biblically-based book with some funny stories and things like that. So... Um, I hope that you'll get it and, and pass it along to people who need it. Uh, my goal with this book is not to make money. My goal is to help people. I want to help people. And, and we need help in parenting today. So anyway, we're on this series uh, called Miracle Moments. Last week we talked about uh, the paralyzed man who his friends carried him to Jesus, carried him to Capernaum. The house where Jesus was speaking was full. The yard was full. So they climbed up on the roof. Uh, cut a hole in the roof and lowered this man right in front of Jesus. And, of course, Jesus, Jesus healed him. John 20, verse 30 to 31, it says this. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may, re you may have life in his name. And so, you know, miracles testify that there is a higher power. 
that there is something going on, that there is a God who created the heavens and the earth. And so the goal, one of the goals of miracles that are recorded is that we may believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Many people believe in Jesus, but they're not experiencing the life of Jesus, the transformative power of Jesus Christ in their life. And that's our goal. That's my prayer for you. Uh, we talked about four miracle insights last week, and I want to repeat them because if we, don't, if we don't know these, it really hinders miracles. The first miracle insight is this, is that, is that God is still in the miracle business. John 14, 12 says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. Now, what has Jesus been doing? He's been healing leprosy, healing blind people, raising people from the dead, casting out demons possess spirits and freeing people, and they will do even greater things. Well, gosh, how is it possible to do greater things than Jesus was doing on the earth? He says, because I am going to the Father, and of course the promise was this, I'm going to the Father, but the Father is going to send the Holy Spirit to be with you. We have the Holy Spirit with us today. So the same miracles that were taking place in the life of Jesus in the first century, they're still available for us today. The second insight is this, is that if, if you have a need, you're a candidate for a miracle. Can I just, just see a show of hands? How many of you need something that you can't do for yourself here this morning? You, I mean, look, look around. Look around. It's, it's almost everybody. And if you have a need that you can't make happen on your own, you need a miracle. You need, you need a supernatural miracle in your life, so you're a candidate. And the third thing is that God cares about the big things and the little things in your life. And, and so many times we focus on these big creative miracles that Jesus has performed in the Bible and that we've seen in church. But how many of you know that uh, if you have a need that in your life, never think that it's too small for God to care about. God wants our lives to be whole. And it doesn't matter if you need a big miracle, a supernatural miracle, or if you need a small supernatural miracle. If you have a need, you need a, you need a miracle. And God cares. God is concerned about our lives. Last week I talked about in the 17th century, uh, a doctrinal error called the deism was born. And deism says that God created our world kind of like a watchmaker creates a watch. He created it, then he stepped back from it and doesn't intervene anymore. And, you know... That's just simply not true. When you read the stories of the Bible, you see that God has always intervened in his world. And God is always concerned about the things that concern us. And number four is that every miracle requires some type of action on our part. And uh, so in every miracle that Jesus performed, as you read them, what you, what you realize is that in every miracle, somebody did something. In every miracle. The friends carried the paralyzed woman, uh, you know, to, to Jesus. And, you know, when they turned water into wine, the servants had to fill up these ceremonial jars, you know, drop a bucket in a well, bring it up and do this. The woman who had an issue of blood, she, she pushed through a crowd of people. It said she, they were worried that Jesus was going to be killed, stomped to death because the crowds were pressing into him. And somehow a sickly woman pushed her way through the crowd and grabbed the garment of Jesus. And so in every miracle, somebody has to do something. And so it's very important in our lives. What is God wanting for me? 
to receive a miracle. And it may be as simply of, it may be as simple as coming up for prayer when people pray. It may be just be losing your pride and admitting you need help. Um, it could be hard or it could be easy, but there's a component with your name on it. And this morning, we're, we're going to look at a Samaritan miracle in John chapter 4. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read a big portion of this text, and it'll be on the screen. And, and uh, I don't normally read this long of a passage, but I, we need to get through this. I'll do it quickly. This will be the only scripture we'll be turning to today. And so let's look at it. It says, now... Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. That's John the Baptist. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Now the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph... Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And his disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. You know, where can we get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep drinking and coming to draw water at the well. He told her, go and call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And he said to her, you are right. When you say you have no husband, the fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now, you now have is not your, is not your husband. Uh, what you have just said is quite true, sir. The woman replied, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, if you ever go somewhere and someone doesn't know you and they don't know anything about you and they start telling you everything you did, you're just like the woman. I guess you're a prophet, right? I mean, it's not rocket science. Me and this, look at this. Uh, the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And G then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. And many of the Samaritans in the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. I, I want to take a few minutes this morning to give you some historical background to this incredible miracle moment so that you understand the story more fully, 
Uh, it's, it's sometimes we're reading the Bible, and because we don't understand historical contexts or geographical contexts, we, we, um, we make the story uh, less powerful than it really is. And first of all, the scripture says that he was in Judea. And if you've ever seen a map of Israel, it's kind of a, a long, skinny nation. It's 120 miles from the south to the north. So basically, if you drive from one side of greater Houston to the other side, you've driven more than halfway through Israel. I've driven from the top of Israel to the, to the bottom in about three hours. And so, uh, but at the, the very southern region was Judea, which is where he was. The very northern region, region is Galilee at the time of Jesus. In the middle was Samaria. And because the Jews and the Samaritans hate each other so much, the Jews in the south, what they would do is they would go east. They would cross the Jordan River, go all the way north until they passed Samaria and cut back into Israel. This would take six days, a six days journey. If you cut straight through Samaria, straight up to the Galilee, it took about three days. So their disdain was so much for the Samaritans that they would rather spend three days walking than to get to where they want to get to. Oh, come on, this isn't too unreasonable, huh? How many of you see somebody in the grocery store that you don't care for and you walk a couple aisles around to get to where you need to go? Come on, it's not that unreasonable, but three days. Three days, three extra days, that, that, that's a, a high level of dislike and hatred. And so the statement he had to go through Samaria is quite peculiar because, again, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other. And we've talked about this. So, so why, you know, why did he have to go through Samaria? And the first thought was, well, maybe he was in a hurry and he wanted to cut three days off the journey but if you read the entire story in verse 40, I believe it says that when the village came out, when the town people came out because of the lady's testimony, they begged Jesus to stay and he stayed two more days. So I don't think that he was in a hurry. I think the statement that he said, we have to go, I have to go to Samaria, I think it's because he had a divine appointment with the town of Sychar. He had a divine appointment with this lady. And I, I want to tell you today, I don't believe in happenstance. I don't believe in, I don't believe in luck. And I believe if you're here today, you're, you're ordained to be here. And God has a divine appointment for you today. And if you need a miracle, I believe it's divinely appointed that God is going to touch your life today. It's a divine appointment. Uh, you know, some of you here today probably weren't going to come today and something changed your mind to come. Maybe the person sitting next to you just kept bothering you so much. Well, I'm just going to go. Leave me alone, you know. Uh, so if you're here, you're, here, you're here, here by choice. When God created the world, he knew you'd be here on this day. Okay. And so, uh, the, but the next thing is we understand why he had to go through Samaria. But Jesus starts talking about living water. And, and, and we, you know, we may not understand the context. The natural context was in Israel. Living water in the ancient world was water that moved. A stream, a river, you know, some type of a fountain that came up that moved. It was considered living water because it purified itself. It was always moving. And so a well, Jacob's well is still there today. You can Google it and see a picture of it. It's still there. They've built a monument around it. And it was 100 feet deep. It's a 100 feet deep well. So water's just there. There's no living water. It's not moving. It's just there. And so this lady, this lady's like, you know, she's just puzzled a bit because Jesus is just talking about all these things. You know, first of all, she's a Samaritan woman. 
men and women didn't address each other in public, much less a Jew and a Samaritan. So that's taken her off guard. And, and then, you know, I ha- there's this strange guy that's talking to me about living water when we're at a well that's been dug, you know, for many, many years. And it's 100 feet deep. There's, there's, there's no water moving. It's, it's, it's not living water. It had none of those features. And then she goes on to say, uh, you're asking me, you're, you're saying that I would ask you and you'd give me a drink, but you don't even have anything to draw water. And the well is deep. It's 100 feet deep. And uh, when you traveled in ancient Israel, because it's a very uh, dry, rigid environment, everyone that traveled, uh, they, they would take something to gather water. So that, because you couldn't take enough water for a six-day trip. I mean, you couldn't carry enough water. So, uh, you know, there were like this well. It was a public well. There were places you could stop and get water at rivers, streams, whatever. And um, so they would always have some type of device to get water. Usually it was an animal skin. And it had a rope so you could drop it down there and attach it. And and we're sure that Jesus and his crew had some. But remember, his disciples were in town buying food. They probably have it. So she's just puzzled, you know. How's this guy going to give me living water when he has nothing to draw from? The well is 100 feet deep, and it's not living water anyway. I mean, he's just, it's just, it's a puzzling, a puzzling, uh, you know, scenario. It's a, it's a bizarre conversation. And, you know, all these, for all these reasons we talked about. And then, you know, Jesus begins to get personal. And, and I want to say this, if you're interested in getting to know Jesus, He'll point, he'll, he'll, he'll point out some things in your life, and he may tell you some things that don't make sense, but then he gets personal. Yeah. Then he gets personal. And when it gets personal, we know, we know that it's the Holy Spirit speaking to us. We know it's not human ordained. And he, he starts asking her about her life. You know, go get your husband. Well, I don't have one. No, you've had five. And the guy you're with now is not your husband. But when he goes back to get the village, that's the part of the conversation we have recorded. When, he goes back to get the, when she goes back to get the people in the village, she says, come here, a man who told me what? Everything I have ever done. Jesus just laid down the gauntlet and said, listen, I know everything about your life. And he just starts, starts going. And, you know, it, 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 it piques, his, it piques her, her interest. And, uh, you know, so there's, we're talking about principles from every miracle story because, these principles or insights we get when we learn more and more about how miracles happen and what the situation was when they happen, I think it gets us closer. I believe it raises our faith. So principle number one is this. Jesus came. He came in the world to heal the down and outs of society. He did not come for the educated. He did not come for the religious leaders. He came to heal the down and outs of society. If you read about the life of Jesus in the Bible, you realize that he had more compassion, care, concern, and sympathy for the down and outs of society than anyone else. That's why he was always spending his time with the people whose society had given up on. That's why he's spending time with tax collectors, because no one else wanted to. That's why he's spending time with fishermen, because no one else wanted to. That's why he's talking to lepers and the adulteress and the, the, the down and outs, the, the, the ones that no one else, that everyone had written off, Jesus spent more time with them than anyone else. And the reason why is because their hurt level and their hunger level was more than anyone else. And when you're down and out, when you have been written off by everyone else, 
Listen, Jesus came for you. He came for you. You are not a down and out him. See, here's the reason. We look at people and we classify them. Jesus looks at people and says, I love them. That's a different thing. And so Jesus, Jesus saw their condition that they were hurting, but they were just as valuable to him than anyone else. And I'm telling you this morning, there's so many of you that think you don't deserve a miracle. There's so many of you this morning who think, you know, you don't, you don't qualify for a miracle. Listen, if you've messed up your whole life like this woman and you're in terrible shape, Jesus loves you just as much as the person next to you, just as much as me. Any one of the great people, Jesus came and he cares about you. And the next thing is Jesus doesn't want anyone to suffer. We are not supposed to be going through life being beat down. He wants to elevate people. He wants to elevate people. And think about this story. This woman, we're going to find out in just a minute why, was isolated from her community. And now all of a sudden she's like the star. She goes out and there, you know, these all, everyone in the village is following her out. She went from a zero to someone that people were following. And that's what happens when we, you know, when we get involved with Jesus. So Jesus saw the value in this woman. And she was so important to him. And, you know, there, again, there's no one too low, too sinful, too rejected for him to love and to care for. And so, again, she was a woman. She was a Samaritan. And, and she was not a good woman. She was an adulterous woman. Ladies, married, la married ladies. She's the woman at the office that you don't want your husband to talk to. A while back, I don't know a while back, maybe a year or so ago, uh, my family, we went to go eat at a restaurant, and we were in the waiting area. And we're waiting, and the guy comes and says, uh, you know, your table's ready, so we go to follow him, and I'm first, then Tracy, and then the kids, and this lady comes stumbling around the corner from the bar, bumps directly into me and says, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you in a long time. And I'm thinking, oh, Jesus, help me. And I said, oh, hey, I said, hey, how are you doing? And I mean, you know, she had a, she was, lady, she's the one that you don't want your husband to talk to. I'm going to stick with that. Okay, and, and I just kind of was nice to her, and I walked, I'm just walking to the table. And Tracy said, who, who was that? Who, who was that? I, I, I said, I don't know her name. She's like, well, she seemed to know you. I said, I said well, I, she's, she goes to the same gym as me. We've been going, I mean, I see her across, the, I've seen her every once in a while for like seven years. I've never had a personal conversation with her, you know, and... Uh, so I'm just like, hey, let's order, you know, let's order, let's move on, you know. But, but, but think about that. This is the lady that Jesus was having compassion, con care, and concern for. And even when the disciples came back, they're like, why, why is he talking to this lady? You know, why? And what do you tell them? I have, I have food to eat that you don't know about. I have things to do. And... Um, the point I'm trying to make is that everyone here this morning is qualified for a miracle. Known as below the love and compassion of Jesus, uh, receiving a miracle is never about what we deserve. It's about the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And, and, and he is full of compassion and grace. grace. And, you know, I believe that 
he wants to do a whole lot more in our lives than we want him to do. Well, I want you to heal me, but there's some other stuff I don't know if. Hey, why, why, don't, why don't we say, Jesus, just heal everything in my life. Just heal, take it all. Just take it all and rest, restore me. The second thing is that Jesus heals from the inside out. So you may want a physical miracle, and you may not even realize that Jesus wants to do something inside of you. We want the outward things to be healed, but Jesus always starts with the inside. Remember last week when the paralyzed man was uh, lowered down? What did Jesus say? Son, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders throw, throw a fit, you know. He said, I said that so you know I have the authority to forgive sins. And which is easier, to say, sons, your sins are forgiven, or get up, take your mat, and walk? Why did Jesus, Jesus healed him on the inside before he healed him from being paralyzed? Jesus, he came for a physical miracle, and he got a spiritual renewal and the physical miracle. So the miracle you most need may not be the miracle you're thinking about right now. And, and so you can do it all. Jesus can get it all. But we focus, you know, we focus on so many things. Jesus wants to get to the root that's causing our pain. He wants to get down there and heal the hurt that's causing us to be, to be miserable in life. Uh, you may be asking yourself, well, Terry, I don't even see a miracle in this story. Where's the miracle? Well, the miracle is, you know, she does not appear to be sick physically. You know, she, she's, just a, she's just a sinner. But the miracle in this story is that Jesus touched the emotions in this woman. He touched the, her at an emotional level. And, uh, and he, he just restored what, what had been done to her. It's clear this woman had experienced some type of severe emotional trauma in her life. We don't know exactly what had happened to her, but it's clear by her actions and her lifestyle that something is broken in her. Something is broken. Let me tell you something. There are so many people in here this morning, and I say this with as much compassion and grace as I can. There are so many people in here this morning, and something is broken inside of you. And Jesus wants to restore it. There's something, there's some experience in your life that, that caused you to be broken as a child, as an adult, as a preteen. And you're trying to fake it and you're trying to make it and you're trying to do things. But that brokenness in your spirit, that brokenness in your emotions is causing you severe trauma and it's bleeding out on everybody else. And so this is a woman. We don't know what happened to her. Um, but I guarantee you, I guarantee you one thing. I've been in ministry now for 22 years. And I guarantee you that something traumatic happened to her. Either she was sexually abused as a child, either she was verbally or physically abused or beaten by a husband. But something in her life caused a break in her life because it's not normal to be on your sixth man. Really? No. It's not normal to go through five husbands and be, and be shacking up. Like, that's not normal. So what happens? Here's what happens in life. I, I wish I had this diagram. I'm, I drew, 
after so many counseling sessions and seeing things over and over as a pastor, one day I just sat there and the Holy Spirit gave me a vision and I drew a circle. And the Holy Spirit said, that's the circle of dysfunction. And what the circle of dysfunction is, is when we get hurt, when we get broken, when our emotions are damaged, we try ways to fix it. And so we repeat the same. We repeat the same things. That's why with her it was men. She had to have a relationship to try to fill the void. With others it's alcohol. And you're, you're killing yourself by drinking yourself to death. It's causing problems in your relationships. It's causing problems in your career. And wh why do you drink? Because something is broken in you that you don't know how to fix. In alcohol, in men, in money, in status, in power, in fame, they can try to fill the gap, but they can't break what's broken. We were created in the image of God, and only God knows how to heal that. And so I'm telling you today, if something happened to you, and listen, it's not your fault. It's not your fault if you have been violated by somebody you trust in. But the whole point is, how can I be whole again? What can I do? And we have to come and give ourselves to Jesus and say, I need a miracle. Something is broken in me, and I am not leaving here today till it's whole. You can have that. Here's the problem. If you're not whole, the people that you love are hurting Again, it's not your fault. But what I'm saying is this, listen, if you're a parent and you're trying to raise healthy, well-adjusted kids, but there's something broken in you that's never been fixed, you can't give something that you don't have. Can you give your kids money that you don't have? No. And you can't give your kids happiness or health or love if, if you can't even re re receive it yourself. Again, this is not, it's not your fault, but it's something that we have to, you know, that we, that we really have to think about. So we're talking about a lady who somehow has received wounds. And so today, today's miracle we're looking for, we're going to pray if you need a physical miracle. But I'm looking for the ones who are hurting emotionally today. It's time to put it to an end. And it's going to be emotional. You may cry, and I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this. Jesus loves you and doesn't want you to stay that way. I know that. Uh, you know, when I was, I started ministry when I was 25 years old, which means I didn't know much about anything. You know, Trace and I were going there, and, and uh, you know what I, what I realized is if you really want to help people and God gets involved, it gets messy. It gets messy sometimes. But the mess is just getting out, getting it out. And so there was, we had, we dealt with a number of kids in junior high, high school, college. We had 150 kids. There were probably, as were youth pastors, several hundred kids that we had intimate associations with that we helped. And, you know, I would say there were about 15 to 20 kids in that time that I couldn't help. It didn't matter what I did. Tracy and I could not help them. It didn't matter how much time we spent with them. It didn't matter. I mean, there was just, and I, I didn't understand why. Why are these other kids getting their lives transformed and this one's not? What's the deal? And on top of that, they did things and they made irrational, crazy decisions that hurt their family even more. Their family's trying to help them. And, you know, 
Years later, I found out that every one of those kids, every one of them, had been broken emotionally. Some of them had been sexually abused. Some of them had been raped. Some of them had been rejected. Something happened. And they were boys and girls. And uh, because it was hidden, I didn't know how to help them. And I, I want to tell you this morning, I, I, I believe in counseling and I believe in therapy. I believe it can help. I have many friends who do that full time. But they will tell you the same thing I'm going to tell you this morning. It's a whole lot better just to go right to Jesus. It's a whole lot quicker. It's a whole lot cheaper. It's a whole, it, I mean, it's a hundred percent, you know, solution. You know, today, there are millions of people every day that we're interacting with, and they've been broken. When you start to understand what's going on in people's lives, you'll have more grace and mercy for them. When that person is treating you terribly at work, when that person is doing irrational things, you know, maybe you're not the problem. Maybe they have something broken in them and they don't know how to, they don't know how to get a handle on it. But millions of people, millions of people are walking around with wounds that only Jesus can heal. So Jesus, Jesus tells this Samaritan woman, and this puzzling, bizarre conversation, it starts to turn and go from bizarre to personal, and it changes everything. And Jesus tells her, if you knew who I was and what I can do for your life, you would ask me to give you some living water so you'll never thirst again. And, and, and I'm saying, if we really understand how much God loves us and the power of what he can do, with our emotions, we would ask him to help us. We, we would ask him. We, 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 we would demand, uh, you know, that, that, that he helps us. And it, so anyway, if you're here today and you've suffered emotional trauma, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, if you're struggling with eating, eating disorders, addictions, pornography, anything like that, you're trying, to, you're trying to fix something that only Jesus can fix. Somehow, some way, your emotions have been damaged. And I beg of you this morning, I beg of you, come and get some living water this morning. Come and get some living water. The third thing is this, is that this is the best part. This is the best part. You see, when you're down and out, when you're broken inside, you think that your life can never make a difference. When Jesus touches somebody who's been broken inside, they now are more qualified than anyone else to reach others because everyone knows that something has happened. This woman, she goes back, and these people, again, I forgot to mention this early, Sychar, the town of Sychar, it had its own water source. And the ladies would go out every evening to get water for their family the next day. So here's a woman who's walking a mile. Jacob's well is a mile away. She's walking a mile at noon just so she makes sure she doesn't see any of those women. She can't take any more abuse. She can't take any more looks. She's not doing it anymore. But now all of a sudden, 
she's been touched. And she goes back and now the ostracized one is bringing the village to Jesus. That's, that's the turnaround. She's bringing the people to Jesus. And so God uses the broken people, once they're restored, to bring people to Jesus. I had a pastor friend of mine who went to start a church many years ago in a small town. And uh, it wasn't going well. He couldn't really get anyone to attend. And he's like, God, I believe you told me to come here um, but I'm about ready to hang it up. And the Holy Spirit told him, you've only been doing it for four months. Buck up a little bit. God ever tell you that a little bit? Buck up a little bit. You hadn't even started to suffer yet, you know? And God told him, see the drunk over there on the corner? There's a small town, so there's a town drunk. Everyone knew him, Tommy. Tommy the town drunk. A loser, always been a loser, always will be a loser. He said, you see Tommy? He said, yeah. He said, Tommy's going to start a revival in your town. But you have to lead him to Christ first. He said, I was more discouraged then than before the Lord talked to me. <laughs> and he prayed about it. And uh, see, sometimes the solutions that Jesus has for us, they're not easy, but they work. And so he went over there to talk to Tommy, but Tommy was drunk, and so he realized, I can't talk to Tommy till about 1 o'clock every day because he's got a, by, by 5 he's drunk, and in the morning he's hungover, so there's, there's a little window here. He just started befriending Tommy. He just started sharing Jesus with Tommy, and over two months he built a relationship with Jesus. And one day he goes to talk Tom, to Tommy, and he said, Pastor, I think I need Jesus. He led Tommy to the Lord. This has been years. Tommy would never drink again. Tommy would never drink again. Uh, he, started, he started going to the church every Sunday, just a handful of people going. Tommy's one of them. Uh, before long, Tommy is, he's shaved, he's cleaned up, he's talking coherently, he looks nice. Tommy got a job and he started running, running a mechanic shop. And uh, before too long, all of Tommy's family comes to church with him. His wife comes. His children come. His aunts and uncles come. And they say, man, if, if I didn't know if religion was real, if Jesus can touch Tommy, he can touch anybody. And so Tommy's going through life. Tommy starts coaching his kids' baseball team. He becomes a community leader. And so one day his friends are walking by him and they're making fun of him. So Tommy, you found religion, huh? He said, no, I don't, it didn't have anything to do with religion. He said, I found Jesus. And because Jesus touched the wounds that I had in my life, I don't need to cover it. I don't need to mask it with alcohol. And he looked at his friend. He's like, hey, John, I know your life, and I know the hurts you have. You need Jesus too. Listen, this church quadrupled, quadrupled with everyone that came were non-Christians. They all got saved all because of Tommy, the town drunk, who let Jesus come in and heal his emotions. So I wonder how many people here this morning who you're here and you want to do good, but you have something broken within you. 
and it drives you to live in a way that you don't want to live. Everyone knows it. Everyone knows you have addictions. Everyone knows, everyone knows the things. What if this morning we could say, we could say, Jesus, you come on up. Jesus, would you just touch me? Would you just give me some living water so I don't need to fill my life with the things that I'm filling with right now? See, we're only hurting ourselves. When we're not whole, we're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves. And, and uh, we're, when we're going to open the altars for prayer, if you need a physical miracle, uh, I want you to come on this side. And we have anointing oil. We'll anoint you to pray, pray for you. I want my prayer team. My prayer team can come on up. And, and if we have a bunch of people come up, whoever's on the prayer team, just come up, even if it's your week or not. And I want everyone that has emotional wounds to come over here. And, you know, family life can't set you free. Family life can't heal you. But we serve a God who's in the miracle business. Would you stand with me today? Father God, we come before you. Lord, we come before you in the name of Jesus. And we declare that the devil is defeated. We declare that no longer, no longer is the devil going to hold people that are hurting. In Jesus' name. I want to ask you this morning. I know that there's a whole lot more people than what's come up today who needs, who needs emotional healing. And I'm going to ask one more time, and we're going to be patient before we start praying, because God wants to touch your life. God wants to touch your life. Come on up. Come on up. Don't be embarrassed. Men, women, come on, guys. Don't, 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 don't be tough. You're not tough enough for, to handle it. Hey, that's all right. That's all right. God is touching some people. If you know someone that you love up here, come up and pray for them. All those who need a physical miracle over here, I know that many of the people here, you're still looking for your physical miracle. Thank you, Jesus.
So I encourage you to bring friends, bring people. And uh, I'm going to pray and dismiss us. Guys, if y'all would help take up all the chairs today and stack them, that would be great. We have a growth track right upstairs after service. Tracy cooked pot roast. I've been smelting the office all morning because I don't eat breakfast before Sunday. And so, hey, we're going to eat good. Praise the Lord. God, I just pray right now. Would you, would you raise your hands with me if you feel comfortable? Just say after me, say, Dear Jesus, I need you in my life. I get myself into a lot of trouble when I try to live on my own. I need you to revolutionize my life. I need you to transform my life. This morning I ask of you, fill me with your spirit. Give me guidance and direction for my life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, church. Have a great week.